0: Today's scripture reading is from Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Amen.
1: Let's say amen together, church. Amen. amen. Thank you, Chelsea. And thank you, worship team, too. I, you guys seem to sing better when you have an hour less sleep the night before. I, <laughs> I don't know what happened. Something happened last night. Well, hey, it's good to see all of you uh, gathered here this morning. Welcome to those of you who are watching right now online. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the passage that Chelsea just read, Romans chapter 12. We're looking at verses 3 through 8 today, and we're returning to Romans, the book of Romans, for our series, Holy Transformed. And I know we spent uh, several weeks in verse 2. Well, now we're moving to verse 3, okay? And we're going <laughs> to pick up the pace a little bit here and look at verses 3 through 8 this morning. So as you're turning there in your Bibles to Romans twelve three through 8, let me just share this uh, story with you. I heard once a story about the late Steve Jobs, the visionary pioneer of Apple computers, of course, you know Jobs was responsible for so much of the innovation that took place at Apple, including the iPod, the iPhone, the iPad, all of that stuff. Well, back in the 80s, uh, Jobs was trying to recruit a, a well-known CEO, the CEO of Pepsi, a man named John Scully, to come work with him at Apple. He wanted him to leave this, this big company to come help him with this startup that was successful, but was kind of risky. The problem was that Scully didn't want to leave Pepsi. He had a good gig. He was making lots of money. He was b- very successful at Pepsi. So Jobs, Steve Jobs, offered Scully an absurd amount of money to come work at Apple with him. And still, Scully didn't want to do that, didn't want to come to Apple. Well, finally, Jobs said to Scully, and this is what kind of sealed the deal. He said, do you want to spend the rest of your life making sugar, water? Or do you want to change the world with me? And that statement, that impassioned plea is what got Scully to leave Pepsi and go to Apple and, you know, quote unquote, change the world. Who wants to make sugar water when you can change the world by making computers and iPhones and other innovative world altering technology? Well, I want to play the part of Steve Jobs this morning for you. And I want to recruit you to something even more important than making iPhones. I want to recruit you to this great task that God has given us. It's called making disciples for Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us this. Jesus gave us this great commission from Matthew 28. Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I want to call you, Harvest Decatur. Some of you, I know, you've committed this already. You're, You're frothing at the mouth right now. I want to call you to be a part of that here at Harvest Decatur, even more so than you already are. To go make disciples, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And some of you might say, come on, Pastor Tony, really? I mean, that is a huge task. I've never baptized anybody. How can I do that? How am I supposed to do that? Listen, hear, hear me on this. If you have been a part of Harvest Decatur for any time at all in the last 13 years, you have done that. You have done that. You have made disciples. You have baptized people. Because this is a collective work. This is what a Holy Spirit-empowered church does. We do this together. This is not Pastor Tony's task. This is not the task of your elders. This is our task. This is a Holy Spirit-empowered church's task. I want to call you to that. Come be a part of that with me. The reason I started with that story about Steve Jobs is I'm trying to give you a bigger vision for what we're trying to do here at Harvest. It's not a new vision. We started this church with that vision. I want to call you back to it. I want to fire it up a little bit. And when, you know, when Chelsea was reading Romans 12, I want you to know, too, that this is not just some cutesy little story about how we all help each other. This is not Romans 12, 3 through 8. This is not, by the way, today's message is not going to be this intellectual dive into the spiritual gifts and what all they do. This is a call to come be a part of what the Holy Spirit is doing in the church. Come do this. Come give your life to this. Making disciples for Jesus. Now, a few weeks ago, we looked at Romans 12, 1 and 2. That was several weeks ago, okay, that we looked at those two verses. And if you remember when I preached that passage, I gave you two words that summed up Romans 12, 1 and 2. Consecration. And transformation consecration and transformation. We offer up our bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord, holy and acceptable to him to be used for his purposes. That's consecration. And then there's transformation. spent a lot of time on that. We're not conformed to the world, but we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's a Holy Spirit task in everybody's life. That The Holy Spirit is doing that right now. But I'll just tell you, in, in a lot of ways, Romans 12, 1 and 2, that's an individual task. That's an individual thing. You're consecrating yourself. You're being transformed. The Holy Spirit is doing that thing inside of you. Now, Paul wants to build on that, Romans 12, 1 and 2, the, the, the individual task with the corporate work. With the the community of faith saying, okay, consecration, transformation, add to that Holy Spirit empowerment to change the world, to change the church. Add to that the community of faith where we all build into each other's lives. So that every individual here and everybody watching online and Pastor Tony as well, we are consecrating ourselves. We're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we're also making ourselves available to the Holy Spirit to change the church through the gift that God has given us. That's what this passage is about. That's what we're going here for here at Harvest Decatur. And that's. That's what Paul wanted for Rome. That's what the Holy Spirit wanted in Rome when he inspired Paul to write to the church in Rome in the book called Romans. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants at Harvest Decatur, a Holy Spirit-empowered church, gifted by the Holy Spirit, using that gift for the edification of believers. How do we get there? How do we do that? What does the Holy Spirit-empowered church look like? Let's answer that question this morning, and I'll frame it this way. You can see this in your notes. What are the marks of a Holy Spirit-empowered church? Paul's going to give us some ideas here on what this looks like, on how we live this out, on how the Holy Spirit empowers us to serve one another within the church. So I'm going to answer that question this morning with three words, okay? That sums up, I think, Romans 12, 3 through 8. What are the marks of a Holy Spirit-empowered church? Three words... Write these down. Here's the first one. It's humility. Humility. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Did you know, Harvest Decatur, that humility is a uniquely Christian virtue. I tried to emphasize that a few weeks back when I preached on humility. This is a uniquely Christian virtue. C.S. Lewis said once that the only people he ever knew that admitted to being proud or conceited were Christians. Nobody else admits to that. Nobody else even feels conviction about that. But we got the Bible, you know, and the Bible convicts us about these things and tells us stuff like this. What Paul says in verse three, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Be sober minded about your estimation of yourself. And actually, as Paul, as you read this, Paul says it a little more cumbersomely than just that. Because look how he says it for the grace by the grace given to me. I say to everyone among you. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But Paul, Paul, I'm a, I'm a living sacrifice, man, for Jesus. Look at me. Look at me. I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind. I'm not being conformed to the way. I'm metamorphosizing, Paul, like a beautiful butterfly. Look at me. You said that in verse 2, Paul. Paul said, hold on now. Don't get a big head, even if these things are happening in your life. Don't get off in isolation thinking that you're doing this all by yourself for your own purposes. There's a community of faith that you are anchored into, and Paul wants you to be a part of that. And so Paul says, for the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, right? How's that working for you? Are you sober-minded yet, Harvesticator? Harvesticator? sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to you. What's so cumbersome about this statement is just kind of the circuitous way that Paul says it. Like, why don't you just say it, Paul? Don't be prideful. Just say that. It's almost like Paul's trying to pastorally and tenderly and cautiously and humbly say, be humble by the grace given to me. I'm telling you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think be discerning about yourself be realistic about who you are your weaknesses your strengths be humble in your estimation of yourself why did Paul have to say this why did Paul have to emphasize this with Rome I'll tell you why just a little historical background here the letter of Romans this book that we're reading in the New Testament Paul probably wrote that book from the church in Corinth Spent some time in Corinth. He was ministering to the church there. And if you know anything about the Corinthian church, whew, that that church was a dysfunctional mess full of pride and divisiveness and factions and sin. People in the Corinthian church were like, well, I'm of Paul. Well, I'm of Apollos. Well, I'm of Cephas. Everybody had their own little faction, and everybody was kind of vying with one another with who could one-up the other with their spiritual gifts. Look at me, look at me. No, look at me, look at me. Paul say, I don't want to see that in Rome, like I'm seeing it in Corinth right now. Do not think of yourself more highly than you want to think. Now, let's think about this practically. How does this? How does pride? How does pride? How does lack of humility manifest itself in the church? How does that happen? Here's how. People in the church start to think. You know, this church maybe you don't say it out loud, but you kind of think it to yourself. This this church couldn't exist without me, without what I'm bringing here. You know, they, I'm essential to this. This church would fall apart if it wasn't for me. I'm the most spiritually minded person in this church. If more people were like me, we'd be, we'd be killing it here at church. Nobody ever says that, right? But just kind of in your worst moments, you're like thinking that or you're Start to think, my, my gift, my gift. I mean, that's your gift. Yeah, that's your gift. Yeah, we, we could do without that, but my gift. We need that here. We can't do without it. That's what happened in Corinth, and that's what Paul wants to guard against in Rome and in Decatur. Now, hear me on this. I want to make a statement here that's theological more than it is anything else. No, no. Person in this church is indispensable except for, wait for it, the Holy Spirit. No one, no person here is indispensable to God's work of the church except for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is indispensable to the work of the church. This is his work. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And all the gifts that he gives according to his purposes are meant to edify, build up, strengthen, and sustain the church. And, you know, God has, God has rigged it that way, and it's good so that the credit and the glory for everything that happens here in the church goes to God and not us. Isn't that good? It, wasn't God smart to think that out? He knew we couldn't control it, the power. So, he gave the power to the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit, power, Holy Spirit gets the glory. And he should get the glory for everything that we do within the church. And none of us should think of themselves more highly than we ought to think. Now, let me be clear about this. That doesn't mean that you should think less of yourself than you ought to think either. Not, we don't want a false humility, we, won't, we don't want a self deprecation to spread throughout the church. I'm nothing, I'm just nothing, Pastor Tony. That's not good. That's not better. That's not sober-mindedness. You are made in the image of God. God has empowered you with the Holy Spirit. You have a gift to be used for the Holy Spirit. Think rightly about yourself. Don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think too lowly of yourself. Think rightly. Think soberly with sober judgment. Everybody see that in chapter 12? Sober judgment. God give us that as a church. We give honor to God, and we work humbly for the benefit of the church. And here's another thing. Let me just, here's a caution, especially for some of you who work so so hard on behalf of the church. Make sure that you not only give to the church with your gift, make sure you also receive from the church. Everybody with me? Because there are folks in the church that give, 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 give. And, you know, you try to minister to them, you try to reciprocate, and they're like, oh, no, I don't, I don't need anything. I don't need. You, know who's the worst at, you know who's the worst at this? Pastors are the worst at this. Oh, I don't need anything. And there's, there's a little bit of pride in that. I'm just the giver. I don't, I'm not the getter. I just give, 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 give. And then after a while, they're like, woe is me, it's so hard. I'm just giving so much to the church. Nobody gives back. Don't be like that. We need each other, don't we now? We need to give to one another. We need to receive from one another. The Holy Spirit designed it that way. We need humility. God, give us humility within our church. What does the Holy Spirit and his power church look like? First of all, there's humility. You can write this down as number two. Also, we need unity. We need unity. Let me ask you a question, Harvest Decatur. Are churches ever (laughs) disunified? Can that happen? Yes, it can happen. And God protect us from that. There's an old poetic ditty that goes like this. You can read this on the screen. To live above with saints we love, ah, that will be glory. To live below with saints we know, well, that's a different story (laughs) Tommy Nelson he asked once have you discovered that the Christian life has to be lived among humans anybody ever figured that out yet my Christian life would be so good if I could just get rid of humans (laughs) if I could just get rid of everybody else I'd be killing it right now Pastor Tony and from time to time churches yes can struggle with unity can't they now And I'll just tell you, disunity in the church just sucks the Holy Spirit empowerment out of the church. It does. And I'll say on the other side of that, when there is unity, when there are brothers and sisters gathered together in harmony with one another, man, that is energizing for the church, isn't it? It gives you energy to serve the Lord and serve one another. Paul writes this in verse 4. Look at this with me. I love this metaphor that Paul gives us. For as in one body, we have many members, many body parts, right? And the members do not all have the same function. Thankfully, there's different stuff that different body parts do. So we, verse 5, Paul says, the church, i.e. the church, we the church, though many many gifts, many kinds of people, diversity, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. That is so good as an illustration for what the church should look like, a body. And, and by the way, Paul's description here of unity is really helpful for our humility. We all have different parts and, and we all need all the parts as, as part of our one body. Doug Moo says it this way in his commentator, commentary on Romans. You can read this on the screen. He says, Understanding that Christians belong to one another in one body and have in common the same grace of God and faith will help to stifle exaggerated ideas about one's own status and ministry. Amen. It will. And recognition of the significant contribution made by each member of the body of Christ will prevent one from thinking too highly or too lowly of himself or herself. And I think that's what makes this body of Christ's image so powerful. By the way, the body of Christ, this, it's more than just an analogy. There is a, when we talk about the church, the church is not an organization. Okay, Harvest Decatur, yeah, we're a nonprofit organization, we got our papers to prove it, but we are not ultimately an organization. We are an organism. We are alive. The Holy Spirit flows inside of this place. We are an organism. We are the body of Christ. And within this body of Christ, there is unity with diversity. And that's good different people different gifts different ways that people worship God through edifying the body of Christ using their gifts for the benefit of the body of the Christ body of Christ that's what makes it so powerful this is not this is not a corporation like you know apple or pepsi or the US government this is an organism the church if every let me just paint a picture for you if every one of you, as members of this body, were one body part, let's say we're all hands in the body of Christ, everybody's a hand. Can I just tell you, that is not a body, that is a monstrosity. <laughs> just a big clump of hands. If everybody in this church was a head and we, and we were just a big clump of heads, that is, you know what that is? That is a horror movie. That is not the body of Christ. The beauty of this image is that this person's doing this thing, and this person's doing another thing. This person's the hand. This person's the foot. This person's the head. This person's the mouth. This person's the eyeballs. Everybody has a different part to play in that one body with diversity and unity. Paul says it this way in a different context in First Corinthians chapter 12 verse 21. Just, just speaking to the divisiveness in the church in Corinth, he says, "The eye cannot say to the hand, "I don't need you." And the head cannot say to the feet, "I don't need you." The truth is that we need each other. The truth is that we need each other to be different. and to serve different functions within the church. E pluribus unum. Y'all heard that before? E pluribus unum. That's the motto of the United States. Out of the many, one. Out of the many, one. That's the church of Jesus Christ. I've used this illustration before. Let me just circle back with it. Think of the church like an orchestra, okay? There's some music people here. Worship team, y'all listening here? like an orchestra. What is an orchestra? You, you have all of these parts, don't you? You have the strings, and you have the woodwinds, and you have the, the brass instruments, and you have the percussive instruments, and they all work together to make beautiful music, and if they're not working together, if everybody does their own thing, it's it, the music, the beautiful music is compromised, right? It's discordant. And so what do you have? You have the conductor up there who's saying, okay, percussions, you need to go down. The string instruments, you need to go up. This, this part of the orchestra needs to taper off a little bit here. And, and the conductor leads that group to make beautiful music. Who's the conductor of our church? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit working and conducting and saying, we need more of this here. We need more of this here. You need to do this here. You need to do that here. We're all working together to make beautiful music as a church of Jesus Christ. Let me switch the illustration on you. Think baseball, okay? It's spring training time, right? Baseball. If all you have on a baseball team is pitchers, just 18, 21 pitchers, that is, in baseball terms, a monstrosity. You need more than just pitchers. You need hitters, you need fielders, you need a team working together. By the way, when I was a kid, this is why I love team sports. I love baseball, basketball, football. I didn't like tennis. I I don't, sorry if you like tennis. I didn't like tennis. Because I'm just, it's all on me. I want to work as a team. I want to be with other people. I want to work towards a goal. What do you have in baseball? You have the first baseman, you have the second baseman, you have the shortstop, you got the pitcher, the catcher, the outfielders. You have all of these people working together for a common goal to win the game together. That is the church. That is what we're doing. People collectively, Harvest Decatur right here, using their gifts for a common purpose, to glorify God by making disciples. And the death knell for a church is when people stop seeing the church as a body with different mutually edifying gifts. Everybody starts doing their own thing without any sense of unity. That's compromising and Another thing, too, is when people desert the church and start, you know, they detach their body part and take it to some other place and live in isolation from the body. You know, a hand maimed, taken off over there, left somewhere out to die. That's a horror movie, too. That's not good. We need each other. We need each other. We need unity. There's a joke that goes like this. I don't tell a lot of jokes, so brace yourself. (laughs) Y'all have probably heard this before. Man is stranded on a desert island, marooned, nobody there but him, builds three structures, gets rescued. Somebody comes and says, well, why do you have three structures here? It's only you on this deserted island. He says, well, the first structure is my house. I got to live somewhere. Well, the second house, the second structure here that I built is is my church. I'm a Christian. I got to worship, so I go to church. The third structure is, well, it's another church because I couldn't get along with the people <laughs> at the first church, so I started a new one. <laughs> you laugh. It's funny because it's true, isn't it? <laughs> We need each other. And divisiveness within the church inhibits the power of the Holy Spirit working in our midst. And that's what we want. Holy Spirit, come. Empower this church. Give us unity. Give us humility. And here's a third thing. Go ahead and write this down. Three marks of a Holy Spirit-empowered church Humility, unity, and thirdly, mutuality. Mutuality. I love this word. This is one of my favorite words. So if you haven't heard it before, let me just explain it. I used to use the word fellowship a lot, but that's become kind of watered down. This is, mutuality has the idea of fellowship. It's, we mutually benefit one another with our gifts and with our resources and with our love for one another, and they will know that we are Christians by our love for one another, displayed in myriad ways within the church body. That's mutuality. We hold things in common. We have varied gifts purposefully by the Holy Spirit, to build one another up, and we not only do we have this mutuality by building one another, we also we weep with those who weep. We hurt with those who hurt. We struggle with those who struggle. and that's, that's part of being a family. that's part of being in the body of Christ. R. Ken Hughes, he says this about this concept, uh, <laughs> this idea of mutuality. He says, "When I was in college, I broke my leg. And the rest of my body felt so bad that it stayed up all night to keep my leg company. (laughs) Each of us belongs to and needs the others, says Hughes. The church is no place for lone rangers. If your life seems stuck, even though you read your Bible and pray, it may be that you're neglecting getting together with other believers and are depriving yourself of the exchange necessary for spiritual growth. And here's how Paul explains that mutuality with the use of gifts. Look look at verse 6 with me, all the way to the end, to verse 8. He says, Having gifts that differ, one body, different gifts, according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Use them, says Paul. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, just another historical point here. Paul has never visited this church in Rome when he wrote this book. Never been there. Started by other people. And yet he knows, he assumes, because they got the Holy Spirit there, that they have the gifts of the Holy Spirit there. Because a, a church full of believers is going to have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is going to give gifts. He assumes that to be the case even though he's never visited this church in Rome. And let me, you know, by the way, this list, there's seven gifts listed here. I think this is just a sampling. I don't see this as an exhaustive list. There are other gifts mentioned in the scriptures. Paul just gives them a little taste of the kind of gifts that should be within the church. And You know, spiritual gifts, let me just say a few things, just set a few theological ground rules for the gifts of the Spirit, okay? I've given you these before. Write these down, 10 fast facts about spiritual gifts. Some of you already know this, could teach this yourself, but it's good for all of us to be reminded of it. First of all, 10 fast facts about spiritual gifts. First of all, only Christians have spiritual gifts. Only Christians... Spiritual gifts are Holy Spirit spiritual gifts. Everybody clear on that? When you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and deposits a gift within you. And sometimes the Holy Spirit adds gifts to that gift. If you're not saved, you don't have spiritual gifts. This is a supernatural work that the Holy Spirit does inside of you. Only Christians have spiritual gifts. Secondly, spiritual gifts are distinct from talents. Skills and other natural abilities. They're supernatural, not natural-born gifts. Now, sometimes God will marry those two. Sometimes God will take somebody's natural abilities and empower them by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes they're not the same, though. You might be a great leader in your company. That doesn't mean you'll make a great spiritual leader in the church. That doesn't always correlate. Thirdly, every Christian has at least one gift. I say, Pastor Tony, I'm a Christian. I, I don't have a spiritual gift. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You might not know what it is, but you have one. and And there's such a confidence that comes over you when you know this is my gift. This is how I use it. I get really antsy if I'm not using it. And when I do use it, I feel greatly empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's good to know. So if you don't know, find out. And some of you, even without even knowing really how you're doing it, you just, you just use your gift. You just do, and you bless other people. And I, I've seen that. Paul says in verse 5, So we, though many, are one body in Christ, individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to grace given to us. Let us use them. We have gifts that differ. That's good. And everybody has a gift for the one body of Christ to build up the body of Christ. That's how God has designed it. Number four, no one receives all the gifts. Every Christian has at least one gift. No one receives all the gifts. There's no super empowered Christian. Is there, has there any been a, ever been a human being that has all of the spiritual gifts, all of them? Yes, his name is Jesus. Can I just state a point this morning? You ain't Jesus, okay? And I'm not either. No one receives all the gifts. And that's, you know, by the way, on, on our elder board, and no, None of us, we've got godly elders, none of them are like, have all the gifts. And I actually praise the Lord because we all have a leadership gift, those on the elder board, but we also have a pretty good distribution of the other gifts that are used and leveraged for the leadership of our church. I praise God for that. Number five, no single gift is given to every Christian. God has rigged the church. He's rigged it this way. So that we all have different gifts. So that we need, it's like marriage, okay? God knew we need a male and we need a female. And the father can't mother the child and the mother can't father the child. Not biologically or psychologically either. I've been doing a lot of research on this recently. Like, You need fathers to father and mother to mother in the family. God has wired the family to be that way. And it's like that in the church. We all have different gifts here within the church, and no single person has every gift, and no single gift is given to every Christian. Sixthly, the Holy Spirit decides who gets what gift. This is frustrating at times. It's not like the golden corral, okay, where you go up there and say, that one, that one, that one, that one, yeah, that's great. It doesn't work that way. And, I mean, the Holy Spirit decides, and I've told y'all before, I fantasize about being a worship leader. I do. I want to be Ryan Jackson, Brandon Jokes. Give me a guitar. I fantasize about being on the hospitality team. Last week, can I just tell y'all something, pastoral confession this morning? Last week, I came to church, greeted some folks, sat down over there, and I listened to a fantastic sermon by Ryan Jackson on parenting, and I said to the Lord, I want to do this every week. Can I just do this? Can I just be this guy? I'll join the hospitality team. I'll just be that guy. But I know, and you know this about yourself, that if you don't use that gift that God has given you, you get antsy. And there's this thing that stirs inside you this little reminder praise God for it that says I gave you something you need to steward what I have given you and you don't choose your gift but you're responsible to the Lord to use your gift spiritual gifts number seven are a privilege and a responsibility not a burden thank you Lord I needed that reminder this week Number eight, using my gifts glorify God, glorifies God and proves me a disciple. John 15, 8 talks about bearing fruit. This is how we bear fruit as a disciple. You got the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Good, good. That's the fruit of the Spirit. You know what else is an outworking of the Holy Spirit? The gift that the Holy Spirit has given to you, you using that for the benefit of the church. That proves you a disciple. You belong to Jesus. Here's the gifts of the Spirit being used for the edification of the church. Ninthly, spiritual gifts vary in visibility. They vary in prominence. But all are needed. Some gifts are more prominent. Some gifts are more visible. Others are more behind the scenes. Others are more inconspicuous. And it's often the more inconspicuous gifts and the inconspicuous parts of the body that are the most needed. Paul says the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable to the church. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 22. And then, tenthly, spiritual gifts have a common purpose but are diverse in function. Common purpose glorifying God, making disciples, each of us using our gift, pooling our resources, pooling our spiritual gifts for the church, for the edification of the church. Let's go back to the text here. So Paul lists seven gifts and go through them quickly. We preached as elders an entire series on these seven gifts. I think it was like five years ago, uh, summer 2016. So we've dealt with these in depth, but let me just summarize quickly these gifts. Paul says if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Prophecy, in my understanding here, what Paul's talking about is primarily foretelling not foretelling. Foretelling is actually quite rare in the New Testament. But forthtelling it's discerning a person's conditions spiritually. And speaking into that, a counselor often has this gift. Our small group leaders often have this gift, a gift of discernment, gift to speak directly into somebody's situation. And that's good, and we need to be careful with that gift. We need to be careful with this gift, okay? Let me just say that, because this is not... The gift of prophecy, utterances, prophetic utterances, it's not inspired by the Holy Spirit like the scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit. But God can often use this gift to speak into somebody's life, to encourage them, to speak truth, to address a matter. If service in our serving is a second gift Paul lists here, diakonia is the Greek. You can probably hear the word deacons in there, diaconos, diakonia, serving. This is the behind-the-scenes gift of people who serve. And you, you never know sometimes what they do and how they bless the church and how much we need them, how much I need them. Even on Sunday morning, the the, the soundboard and the, the sound and audiovisual team back there serving so faithfully to make what happens happen here. one who teaches in his teaching third gift this is me I have a teaching gift if I don't teach I go crazy and I teach sometimes even when I shouldn't teach at home i like to give long lectures on important stuff <laughs> brilliant lectures to my wife and my son and sometimes they say dad you need to turn it off save it for sunday preacher (laughs) and i'm not the only one that has that gift in this church and that gift is not limited to men we have fabulous harvest kids teachers men and women both who teach we have fabulous small group leaders who lead and teach, hopefully not too much at small group time. You know what I'm talking about, small group leaders. We have elders that can teach. Pastor Ryan is a great teacher. Paul Roberts is a great teacher. Heather Jackson is a great teacher with a teacher, teaching gift. My mom is a great teacher with a teaching gift. The one who exhorts in his exhortation, verse 8, my wife is an exhorter. She's an encourager. The Greek word here is parakaleo, the encourager. The Holy Spirit is called the paraclete. He parakaleo, he comes alongside. This gift is like the Holy Spirit helping somebody to do what the Holy Spirit does. The, The paraclete, you come alongside, you encourage, you exhort, you urge, you challenge even another person. You affirm them and console them. The one who contributes in generosity. Look at verse 8. You know, all of us are called to give generously to the Lord. All of us are called to give back to the Lord a portion of our increase. We all tithe, but some people are really, really good at it. Not just giving to the church, but giving to other people. You know, the, the Dave Ramseys in our midst, who are good at making money and who are good at giving it away. If that's your gift, use that gift and give generously to others and to the church. The one who leads with zeal, elders lead. We don't have elders on the elder board who don't have a leadership gift because they have to lead the church, First Peter 5. They have to shepherd the flock. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, that seventh gift. When I, I remember teaching through the, all these gifts five years ago. And I had several people after that last sermon on that last gift say, that's my gift, Pastor Tony. I, I ha- have the gift of acts of mercy. And if that's your gift, use that gift. Use it. Use it for the benefit of the church. Take meals to people who are in the hospital. Take meals to new moms who just had a baby. Help out with those who need help. Babysit somebody's kids who's having a marriage crisis so that they can go off with their spouse and get it figured out. Go volunteer at New Life Pregnancy Center. Go find a way to use that gift because that antsiness is the... The way the Holy Spirit's saying, do something with this that I've given you. Find a way. There's not a way right now. Well, find a way. Find a way. I mean, I can help. Our elders can help. We're leaders, right? We can help. If if there's not a way that exists right now, then come talk with us, and we'll think it through. How can we help you use your gift for the edification of the church? Maybe you need to grow in your use of this gift to be more effective with it. This is just a sampling, like I said. Some of you are gifted in evangelism. I know you are. Some of you are gifted in hospitality. Some of you are gifted in administration. Some of you are gifted with, with faith, with knowledge, with wisdom, with pastor shepherding. Paul's not giving us an exhaustive list here. What he's telling us is get to work with your gift. Find it and use it for the benefit of the church. Use your gift for the body of Christ. We all have a part to play here at Harvest Decatur. And if people don't play their part, the church suffers. If people aren't greeted by our hospitality team when they come into the church on Sunday morning, the church, the body of Christ, suffers because of that. If people aren't serving, aren't helping to put together all the things that we do on Sunday morning... The, the body of Christ suffers. If, if our hospitality team doesn't have our communion elements out like they do this morning, we all suffer. We all miss out on that. If the, the musicians aren't ready to serve us on the worship team, we all suffer in light of that. All of us have a gift that God has given us and for the edification of the church, for the body of believers, with humility... And with a sense of unity, I love this church. I love this body of Christ. I want to serve this church. We use our gifts. We bless others. We worship God. I'll close with this. Someone asked... Bud Wilkinson once, he's the old Oklahoma football coach from way back when. They asked Bud Wilkinson, what has football done for the physical health of everyday Americans? And he, he really disappointed the people who asked him this question because he said football hadn't done anything for the physical health of everyday Americans. You know what football is, he says? Football is 40,000 people in the stands desperately in need of exercise, watching 22 boys on the field desperately in need of rest. That's football. Y'all heard that before, haven't you? That's football. That is not the church. A large group of people watching a smaller group of people doing all the work of the Holy Spirit here in the church. God has given each of us a gift. God has called all of us to serve, to glorify him by the use of the gift that the Holy Spirit has given us. That's what a Holy Spirit-empowered church looks like. People saved by the blood of Jesus. Are you saved, Harvest Decatur? Do you know Christ Jesus? If you know him, if you're saved, you got the Holy Spirit. And if you got the Holy Spirit, you have a gift of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have one, some of you have many. Use that gift. Use that gift. Glorify the Lord and bless the body of Christ with your spiritual gift. Amen. Let's pray to that end, and then we'll take communion together. Just bow with me, those of you online. Pray with me if you would. If you know your gift, can I just encourage you right now to open up your hands before the Lord and envision? within your hands, that gift that he has given you, a gift of service, a gift of leadership, a gift of teaching, a gift of helps, a gift of hospitality, a gift of evangelism, whatever it is, Just present it to the Lord right now and say, Lord, thank you for this gift. Help me to use it. Empower me to use it, Lord. Give me some practical ways to practice and get better and maybe be informed about how to better use this gift in this church. Maybe there's some in the room right now, some listening. You open your hand to the Lord and you don't know. You honestly don't know. That's okay. But don't stay there. Pray to the Lord. Ask him, Lord, what is my gift? How can I use it for your... For your church, how can I bless the body of Christ? How can I play a part? How can I serve you? How can I glorify you? God, you are so infinitely wise. In the way that you constructed the church, in the way, Lord, you specifically specifically constructed this church, Harvesticator, you have so richly blessed our church with different gifts. And Lord, I am aware as the pastor how desperately we need each other. Would you just bring that conviction to all of our hearts this morning? Would you supernaturally give us hearts full of humility, hearts that desire and uphold unity, and hearts committed to mutuality? Please do that, Lord, please. This is your church. This is your church. Help us with these things, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.